0: together and
1: thinking about the Word of God. Let's speak to the Word. Um, so would you pray with me? God, you you are Messiah. And God, I think it's really awesome for us to be able to talk to you and to sing about you and to say that you're the Lord of all. And I think to agree with the book of Philippians when it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord, that all will cry out of your lordship and your life and, and your majesty and your wonder and god i would pray something much more distinct for each one of us in this room that we wouldn't just sing of you as messiah and that we just would we wouldn't just gather and and consider you as messiah but god there would be a an addition to that song a single word that god you are not just lord of all because that is true but god it would become infinitely personal and infinitely Drawing together around your cross that we would, we would not just say, God, you're Lord, and you're Lord of all, and you're great, but God, that we would tell you that you are our Lord. And God, much more personally and intimately, you are my Lord. And God, in that Lordship, there will will come freedom. There will come your dominion. There will be your reign and your rule. There will be your glory made manifest among us. And so, God, while you are Lord of all, you are creator of all and all will bow down. Christ, I pray with all that I have that every one of us in this room will tell you very intimately, very personally and very passionately. You are my Lord. I love you, Jesus Christ. For it was for that freedom that you have set us free, Christ. And it's your name we pray, we worship, and now we open your word. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So, um, I love this. A few weeks ago, we began a series entitled Freedom. Out of the second um, chapter of the book of Colossians. And um, just a few weeks later, we're closing this series of thoughts. And uh, nine verses in ten weeks. It's awesome. Way to go. And uh, and I love this. Uh, I love this because we're going to begin a series out of the third chapter of the book of Colossians called Imagine next weekend. And we're kind of going to start Imagine in a little different way. We'll deviate from Colossians a little bit and talk about next Sunday um, God's love for the fatherless and how we can be involved in that and his heart toward that. But, uh, but for now, we're just we're just going to run with, um, with this this closing this thought. And it's kind of an amalgamation of thoughts that we've had over the last 10 weeks just where, where's God taken us in this journey? And, and I can't think of a better place to, to talk about where God has taken us than... Move this down. I'm hearing ringing. Anybody else hear that? Is it just me? Oh, praise God. That's beautiful. And to Actually read the scripture together and just to think about this. And uh, I, I love... I begin this with such hope. You know, when I'm reading and just thinking about Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15... I mean, you, if you read this, you're just, and and I know all of us are reading this, um, as a, as a letter once a week and just kind of processing through this and saying, God, I know, you know, Mark has us boring down and actually launching off on kind of some theological constructs about what it looks like to not build a boundary marker religion, but really to have a faith that is based in you. But, but Paul was giving us some greater and grander thoughts and, in the entirety of the book of Colossians. And so we kind of want to keep that moving in and pulling back. And when I was pulling back and just looking at Colossians 2, 6 through 15 as a whole, I mean, honestly, I was I was just going, Oh, God, how are you going to speak to us in this? And so here we go, just reading this together. Chapter 2, verse 6. So, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, you should continue to live in Him. You will be rooted, you will be built up in Him, you will be strengthened in the faith as you were taught. and You'll be overflowing as followers of Jesus in thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. That that's, philosophy is going to depend on human traditions and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. That might be one of my favorite sentences in all the scripture. Because there are so many things that tug us to say we're going to love this And we're going to add this to what we think. And gosh, I'm going to start preaching again, so let me not do that. This is a fulcrum verse for the church of Jesus Christ. Because we tend, if you'll you'll read his sidebar, his illustration of all these verses, are verses 16 to the end of chapter 2 when he says, why would you replace a passion for Jesus Christ with what you eat or what you drink or how you're arrogant about that, when you worship or when you don't worship and why you're arrogant about that, what you do or don't do so you're arrogant about that, whether you worship a moon festival or not, and you're arrogant about that. No, why, why would you trade those trivial things rather than on Christ? And so just, that's where we part for a while saying, look, just be, be careful with this. There is none but Jesus. There is none but Jesus. There is none but Jesus, and there is nothing rather than on Christ. For in Christ, for heaven's sake, if you would trade, how could you? For verse nine says, for in Christ, All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. form. Buckle up. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is head over every power and every authority. I just feel like I know we've been here 10 weeks. I'm just reading this again thinking we should go back and spend another 10. I are mean, just reading this and going, Lord, look at what you're saying about us, that we have been given fullness in you. In you, we were also circumcised in the putting off of the flesh, the sinful nature, not with circumcision done by the hands of men, but it's circumcision that's done by Christ. We have been buried with him in baptism. We have been raised with Jesus Christ through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Glory to God. I mean, look, can you, I'm not kidding. I had a little bit of hope as we started to kind of delve into these verses saying, God, what freedom are you going to bring? When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh or sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. It's jumping up and down time. I'm, and he forgave us all of our sins. Glory to God. Not only did He forgive us them, but this is the, This is the moderate trash talk that I enjoy. Canceling the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, he took them away, nailed them to the cross. Having disarmed them, the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over the sin and shame that held you in bondage, the lifelessness that separated you from God. He triumphed over that in and through the cross. Whoa, that's awesome. And so that's freedom. That's why this was called freedom. Praise you, Lord. You have stepped in and you have spoken freedom into our lives. Then we want to live freely. I mean, we're actually saying, I love Colossians 3.16 when it says, God, we want the word of Christ, this word, this living, written and dwelling word to come and live among us with richness, To dwell among us so that when we're walking the, when we're walking the hallway today, we actually broke out. It's like a, it's like a great Broadway production around here. We're like singing to one another. How was your day in the Lord? Yeah, that would be super awkward, but wouldn't you like to have Broadway Sunday where we just start, we all, you could do nothing but sing to one another. Because you know, that's, going back to the scripture, it says we worship together, singing and writing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, speaking that to one another because God dwells among us. And we're just literally so aflame with the glory of God and so free in heaven. We're saying as a church, that that's the distinctive of us, that we exist to lead people, to transform living, that we believe that God changes lives that the core of who we are as a group of disciples who share life in redemptive community and live on mission, that group of disciples say the word of God dwells in the middle of us and he dwells richly here. And because he dwells, there is freedom here. and There is passion here and people are... There are there's creative ingenuity as we start writing songs and singing to me, Brad. Next time I can't wait as we start writing that song and singing it to one another. There is creativity and ingenuity and joy and I mean we I mean I really really read this and said God, if you if your word lives among us. I mean, we're going to read the stories of scripture and I'm you know pulling some just off the top of my brain. Some of the stories of scripture are like, God, there are going to be some children here who are so passionate for you that they're going to hand you what they have. And you're literally some of our next generation sitting in front of me and the generation that walked out while we were singing Jesus Messiah and the generation in the nursery. They're actually going to take their lives and spiritually and practically, they're going to feed multitudes through Jesus Christ. Because we, we just kind of, we don't read the story of the little boy who met the disciples, who the disciples were a little crusty and not yet believing God. We, we don't read that story and think, nice Bible story. We read that and begin to think, God, how are these guys sitting in front of me going to break off their lives before you? Better than that, how are you going to take their lives and break them off and break them off and feed and feed and feed until there are 12 baskets left over? I mean, everybody wants in on that, but God, it's going it's to require a group of people who simply believe this scripture. And our lives are, to go with the first week of this, our lives are a little foolish for the sake of your glory. I mean, every one of us wants to build an ark and to say, God, we're a part of your redemptive work rescuing others. Here's the hard part. It took eons for Noah to build the ark, and he did that in the face of incredible mockery. And it's what it requires of us. We like the ark part. We don't necessarily like the foolishness part of saying we're going to build and build and we're going to explain rain. You now we're going to tell people it's going to rain. And every single person who comes because can you imagine as he's building the ark? It's going to get it does get bigger and bigger, and that means more attraction. I'm sure they started selling tickets into Arkland, you know, started building some rides around it, and people were coming in. And every single time they would say, Noah, why are you doing this? And he would say, because it's going to rain. And every single time someone would say, what's rain? Can you imagine how many times he had to answer that? And in that foolishness, he was he was a part of God's redemptive work of the rescue of mankind and really all of all of the creation of God. We all want that. All of us all of us want to stack up and say, God, with 850 to 1, we would stand firm like Elijah. And what it requires of us to predicate that is to rebuild the altar and to worship as a worshiper of spirit and truth, saying, God, we want your creativity and your passion among us. And we realize that that might mean 850 people will disagree with us and you agree with me and my heart agrees with you and I'll stand. And I'll even pour buckets of water on it just to demonstrate your goodness and your glory. We all want that among us and I'm just wondering what's it gonna look like as we as we stand as a group of people in the middle of an extraordinarily lost city. As Rick Wheeler would tell us, and J B A or Jeff Litton, you know, over half of our city, about sixty five percent of our city, doesn't know the Lord and we're just in saying, God, there's a freedom that, that dwells among us. I love the first week. It really has moved me, and its I think it challenges me all the time because I want to shrink God down to what I can see and what I can experience, and I don't see that as the God of the New Testament. I love the first, if you were here week one, you'll remember this very well. We talked about a little study on divergent thinking, creativity. It's kind of a neat thing. And, and, and a few, I may not get the statistics exactly right. I think there's several studies on this. So the, the statistics are going to diverge a little bit anyway, because it's on divergent thinking. But it's, it's on creativity. And remember, remember this part though? 97% of children under the age of three scored in the genius category. And it went in that, in that area. Creative thinking, intellectual originality, divergent thinking, or New Testament hope. Just, just that idea that, that we actually could sit in this room and we could be a little bit wide-eyed and we could wonder, as maybe Monty Poole or Leanne, I see Leanne here, so she's not teaching, as maybe Monty is telling the kids some story right now that it might take such root in one, root in one of their lives and may build them up so much that literally thousands will be fed the gospel of Jesus Christ by one of our kids. And we're actually sitting in the room and you're going, that could happen! You know, I'm excited about that. And if you remember the scores, this is what it said about us. It was depressing. And I, I think it was somewhere around, by the time you reach eight or nine years old, it's down to 25%. By the time you reach middle, middle school, it's down to about 8%. And by the time you reach a 25-year-old, less than 2% score in the genius category on divergent thinking, intellectual originality, or if you want to speak into the church, in reality that we believe by faith that God can move with power among us. So I think as we said that and we're reading these verses and saying, God, what would freedom look like? Maybe Jesus was not kidding going back to week one when he said in Matthew eighteen three and 4. Maybe it wasn't a metaphor. Maybe it wasn't a good proverb for us. Maybe Jesus, when he said, unless you approach the kingdom of God as the mind of a child, with the passion of a child, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Maybe what he was literally saying is you're going to figure this out in a divergent scientific study in the early 2000s. But I'm just going to tell you right now that until you're wide eyed and believe me and the whole church is sitting in and believing that I have freedom among you, that I have made you alive together with Christ, that I have made a public spectacle of your sin, that I have I I walked before you in freedom and hope, that I stand before the grave of your death, your misery, your sin, your shame, and I spoke to you come out of that. Until you believe that, you probably will not see me manifest among you. But when you become like a child, there will be a freedom that happens among you. There will be a, there will be a belief not in your own internal creative originality, but there will be a belief in the one who originated everything. Be able to say, Holy God, we we look at this and we are passionate for what you're doing, and it was just it was just depressing for me to see you know ten standing and to be down to all sitting with one kind of raising their hands, and I just I just am thinking, God if He would bring this. This is the hope I had beginning this. If God would bring an understanding of the power of the cross, of the power of freedom, of the power of the truth of His Word, of the power of His life among us. If we would be a people who stopped thinking in the realm of what we could pull off. If we would be a people who would not sit in this church and think, I wonder what we can do. If I if I could be a I prayed this the whole service today, is I just kind of looked out and went, God, where is everybody? Did Disney World have a special this week? What's going on? If I was I was just I was saying, wait, wait, no, no, here's the deal, God. With those of us who are sitting in this room, Maybe just maybe you're going to use us to change the world and maybe you're going to fall in this room in spirit and in power and you're going to move in a heart like I can't imagine. And there may be one child that we nothing about until 10 years from now. And so that's where my heart just prayed, God, so I crown you. You are awesome and you move because God, I don't want to think in my limited view of how I see things. But God, I want to think as if I worship and live and breathe among an ultimately creative, passionate and powerful father. That's that's where we live. And I, I love this. I don't I don't say this to think I mean I I shared this week one, so you should just hear some of these things again. I I've I just pulled this straight from the notes. I I as I weave my way through the word, I find that I love this because we do, we talk about Noah. Noah looked foolish building an ark. Sarah, remember this? Sarah looked crazy buying maternity clothes at ninety years old, right? <laughs> some of you are sitting in the room and literally thinking right now, like literally earlier, t- thirty minutes ago, we're showing an orphan Sunday and you said we're old, we check out. I don't I don't know. I'm not suggesting that you're going to step in and adopt a child. I'm not suggesting you're not. I'm just saying every one of us in this room have a chance next weekend to say, like Sarah and Abraham, we may be buying weird stuff at a store. We're divergent in our thinking. This room got super quiet. Really? Is he really saying this? I'm, I'm just saying, I read scripture and I see people who didn't think as if this is what the scope of the world looks like. I see Sarah and Abraham at 90 saying, we're going to have a baby. You know, this is, whoa. That does not invite a, a, a two, a two percenter. It invites a group of people who are going, are you kidding me? I mean, the Israelites, the great battle strategy of the day, circle it seven times and put Jeff DeVore up front. You know, let him play as he sounds the saxophone. I promise it will be good. Walk for seven days around. Don't put your strongest guys up. You know, don't bring out the big guy who comes off the bus first to intimidate the football team. Put, put, wait, that's not good because you're really a strong guy. So, But put the musicians out front. It's going to be awesome. And let the musicians go and circle. And then the day of, circle seven times. And then let the musicians really play. And, and then watch what happens. And the walls of Jericho fell. That is not anything but a creative God. I mean, that's just the what he invites us to. These are the stories of the New Testament. And so what are we dreaming among us? What have you been freed up to dream that God could do among us? Over the last 10 weeks. This was not an intellectual study. This was a study of freedom. And the truth is who God says he is. Elijah, I've already talked about, and he looked foolish. Absolutely pouring buckets of water on there. Peter looked crazy in the middle of a storm. Some of you are fishermen. And at the worst moment that you could remember on the water is the moment that Peter stepped out yet more. And he walked on water. And I promise you, the quintessential one that we study and that has made us alive looked anything but norm. In fact, looked utterly foolish, naked on a cross, dying on a hill. I just, I just read the scripture and I think God is, is calling us to freedom. Like I, the quick notes I wrote 10 weeks ago is, but in the middle of all that, Noah was saved from the flood. Sarah did give birth. That's the one I love. The walls did crumble. The giant did fall. I didn't even talk about David, but he fell apparently in my story that I didn't tell. Fire did consume everything and lapped up the water in Elijah's moment. It was profound. Peter walked on water. And here's why we really worship. Jesus resurrected from the dead. And the very same power, just so we don't just leave that off in a historical moment, that resurrected him to death according to Colossians 2.6 and Colossians 2.13, raised you and I to sit in this room for a few minutes to talk powerfully about this for 10 weeks and to walk out of here freely releasing the life of Christ into the city and to the nations for the sake of his glory and his name. He's the same Christ to come back to just last week where we're kind of moving down toward a close. The same Christ as the one that stood outside the grave of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come out. He's the one that stood outside and re- I won't re-preach the whole story if you weren't here last weekend. I invite you just to go back to our website and it's, it's there either, um, either in our download or you can watch it on the video part. Clearly I'm a super technological person. And so, um, You know, I just, but I love that because Jesus just met us and looked at us and said, in the middle of your greatest moments of death, where you were buried in the middle of your hopelessness, I stepped into that and I called out and I love this part because it was far, this is a bigger story in John the 11th chapter, I believe, I'm totally blanking now. This is a bigger story than Lazarus come out. This is a story that Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians teaches us about ourselves, where Jesus where Jesus stood outside of our tomb, our tomb, death. Do you understand where you were apart from Christ? It doesn't say you were not well. It doesn't say that you needed some help. It doesn't say that you needed to invite Jesus into your heart so that your good heart could get a little better. It says, according to the scripture, that you were dead apart from Christ. You were separated by your sin and you were hopeless. And this is what I love about this. So Jesus stood in front of this and said, Lazarus, come out. But at some point in most of our lives, he stood in front of the very essence of our hopelessness, our grave of death, sin, and hell. And he said to us, Hey, Mark, come out. And I was able to walk out as a person who was freed in Christ, made alive with Christ, hoped in Christ, found life in Christ. And there is no other way or place to live than to say, God, with that as truth, I want to live with integrity. I want to live with passion. God, I want to be as creative as you are. And I want to believe that as creative as you are in the middle of your church, you're so creative to take my dead heart and bring it back to life. And so, God, in that, how do you want me to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation? And not only does he say that about himself, not only does he raise us from the dead and the uncircumcision of our sinful nature, but it's better than that. It's one thing for the exterior to be made new, but it's a whole nother thing, and it's a whole nother beautiful thing for the interior to be made new. And that's the thing that liberates us to be free today because it says right after that, I don't think it's, I think it's such a theological truth that should embed itself in the freedom of who we are. It says right after he raised us in the middle of our sinful nature or our flesh and he brought us to life, it says then, this, he says this because he knows, he knows us. We're going to come back and he better said, he knows the evil one who will whisper in our ear condemnation over and over and over. So he says, hey, look, I didn't just raise you. But I asked you to take off your grave clothes. And I love what he says in Colossians 2 something. He says, I forgave you all your sin. Oh my goodness. So, hey, you're sitting in the room and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're crippled by sin. Let me just share with you a differentiation between conviction and condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And what the Holy Spirit will step in and do is say, look, I want to convict you, meaning I want to draw you to something that is more than where you are. And I want to draw you out of where you are. And I want you to drop your dra- grave clothes because we've got a place we're going together. Condemnation will leave you where you are with self-flagellation, with beating yourself to death. And that is not from the Lord. That is from the evil one. And so be free. It's not just that God that said, come be divergent, come be thoughtful, come be passive, come be creative. But come be free free from your grave clothes, free from your sin, free from your shame. I mean, he writes about this so much. He says, God, in Romans 3, God justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That's Romans 3, 26. Oh, my goodness, if we would just stay here for two or three hours talking about the derivative and the meaning of the word justifies. But in a nutshell, he once and forever forgives those. Once and forever forgive those who are in Christ Jesus, justifying us before the heavenly Father. Hebrews says, I forgive... This was, by the way, an amazing part of our gospel project study this morning. I forgive their wickedness and remember your sin no more. Whew, I had just had the urge to dance. I've never had that urge in preaching before. And the problem is I can't dance. Maybe the creativity was about to pop out. I don't know. He forgives us and He remembers our sin no more. Wow, praise you, Lord. I mean, these are the foundations of passion in Christ. This is what surrounds you. This is what you've been invited to. I mean, when God looks at us, he doesn't solely see us. And I don't want to remove the importance you are the crown of his creation made whole and complete and robed in righteousness by the living God. But when He looks at us, He does see you because He loves you and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But He also sees you shrouded in Christ, covered in Christ. He sees your sin no more. He remembers that no more. It is filtered through, hidden in, covered by, made whole in, completed by Jesus Christ. And that leads us down a path that there's no way that a follower of Jesus that is impossible. Not that we won't stumble and fall in sin. But look, there's when we're in love with this Jesus, there is no way to do anything but respond and say, Oh God, we cannot get any more of you. We need more grace. We need more of you. We need your sufficiency. God, I am weighted by the power of death that surrounds me. And the Lord stands smiling and saying, Take off your gray clothes. Live full and free in me. It is available. I think we just respond like Paul did. Paul just always, he just constantly came back to this. So because of that, I cannot get enough grace. I cannot trumpet grace enough. I am saved by grace. I am in this moment by grace. I am found in grace. I'm lost in grace. I am passionate for grace. He starts and ends his letters with grace be with you and grace move your way. And if grace can move in every other way, let it move among you. I mean, we, we, we had this, this passion for Jesus. We had all, but we had no ability to, to express it. We had no one to forgive us, but we had desire. We had desire and passion to say, God, we want to live for your purposes, but no way to serve. We had fear with no hope. That was who we were apart from Jesus Christ. And he steps in and he forgave all our sins. By his wounds, we're healed. By his stripes, we are made whole. And we are complete. And man, that is such an amazing thing. I wrote some sentences down about this. This means the mountain of moral indebtedness that we have is covered, removed. If you've ever felt the reality of who you are and where you ought to be, if you've ever felt like you could not close the gap, you can't. But he has. He has. It is in and through Christ that we worship, that we celebrate, and that we experience freedom. And the very reality of that gap that exists for every one of us, that mountain of moral indebtedness, here's what Jesus did. And I can't, I don't know how to preach this enough, and I have no idea other than the Holy Spirit stepping into Colossians 2, 14, 15, 13, 14, 15, and saying, don't you understand that he took the mountain and he brought it out as a military metaphor and he took the one that held you captive and he put him under the authority of Jesus Christ and he marched him as a defeated enemy throughout the streets and there is nothing that should hold you captive to Satan, cell, hell Dominion of sin. Nothing should hold you captive. He has marched out in front and made a public spectacle crying out of the freedom of the believer in Jesus Christ. let's praise God. Let's praise the Lord for what He has done that He has set us free. And so out of that, we as the church of Jesus Christ, we are the custodians of His grace. We are the people who simply say, look, we just want to be a people who manifest this grace among us. And I think when I, when I just maybe ending this freedom here, and I love the fact that the end of a series is not the end of a study. We're just kind of going to venture into some imaginations now. But to end this series here is just to say, God, not only did you, did you come and bring your freedom to me, you made me alive with Christ, but you have forgiven me of all of who I am, but you placed an abounding purpose in my life. Can you imagine a God who would say this of you? I'm going to parade this down the street as a public spectacle. And they say, oh, by the way, you just live in a little quiet. Don't, don't, don't ruffle any... F-. No, no I, I think what he's saying is... And I'm reading between the lines a little here until you read the rest of the New Testament. I think what he's saying is, because I have made a public spectacle of your sin and shame and made you alive with me, you probably ought to make a public spectacle of my grace. You probably ought to lift high my cross. You probably ought to boast in nothing except the cross of Jesus Christ. You probably ought to walk through this planet... Simply saying, there is none but Jesus. There is nothing that I can make much of except Jesus Christ. If you'll remember, I'll just kind of start to wrap up right here and just say, so what are you going to do with this? Because I think when I I think about Lazarus and this idea of he was resurrected from the grave and then taking off his grave clothes, this is the part I love. We get none of the rest of the story in Scripture. We get none of it. I've already shared this last week. I can't wait. You know, there's got to be, and I don't know, as technology advances, I don't know if the Lord has technology in heaven. I have no idea. Just finished reading Revelation again. I didn't find it in there, but I, I just wonder if we're going to get to see these moments in Scripture. Like I just really, I want, and maybe we're going to be there for a few gazillion years. I mean, we're just going to get these stories. Like, did you hear what Lazarus did right after that? You know, it's Can you wait to hear the stories of Lazarus? I mean, can you picture a man who has been resurrected from the dead doing anything but living with eternal purpose for the things of God? Can you picture a man who has who has died the thing that man fears most and who has been raised to new life only unlike Jesus to die again? In between that gap, can you imagine anything other than Jesus Christ is the one, the only? He is the King of Glory, all to honor, all glory. All, I mean, it is His. Can you imagine a person whose sins are fully forgiven, made whole, called out of your own death, called into newness of life, given completion and wholeness in Christ? Can you imagine living for anything else other than, Oh my goodness, here is Jesus. I mean, it's not as you're bounding in purpose because you're wanting to live, you know, a powerful life for God. You're bounding in purpose solely as a response to the amazing work of Jesus Christ. About week two or three into this series, I said, don't you find it weird how we define ourselves? I, I, I do. I do. Don't, you, whenever you meet somebody, you'll remember this illustration the minute I start. The minute you meet someone, you go, you know, hey, how you doing? My name's Mark. And the next question is typically, Mitch either remembers it or that's what he asks. I mean, we always ask that. The que- what do you do? You know, as if we're defined by what we do, which probably lends itself to what we drive and where we live and what we wear and how we are. We actually think those things are important, which is quite funny unless you're in the church. And we don't think that's a big deal at all. There would be a huge amen from the church. I mean, that's just not a big deal to us. You know, what do you do? I, I don't, wouldn't you love to be with Lazarus? When he started to ask, what do you do? And, hey, man, I haven't met you before. I'm assuming there was some greeting that went on in their day as well that ended in that way. You know, how, how do you, do you raise camels? Are you a shepherd? Are you, you, you a fisherman? How about, are you a tax collector? What do you do? Can you imagine his answer? It shouldn't be much different than ours. Can you imagine his answer? I don't know, I'm resurrected from the dead. That's what I do. There's a conversation, ender or starter. People are "Dude, dude's crazy, man. Don't talk to that dude. He's nuts. Ah, here's what I, hello, my name is Lazarus. And I, I, was, I was resurrected from the dead. And somebody probably would say, we've heard about you. Guys, come and meet this guy. This is Lazarus. I think he would look and just say, if we're going to use some of this scripture. And by the way, in that resurrection, here's what I've discovered. That I am loved by God. That's what I do. I live in the middle of that. I am chosen by the King of Glory, the one who made all of the universe, the one who spoke it into being. If you want to run with a little Colossians, which Lazarus hadn't read that yet, but if you want to read a little Colossians, he probably would have said, the very one that, that stood over all of eternity and started to speak it into beating. And he said it, it would be and it was. And he said it was good. Yeah, that's, that's the one that I'm chosen by. I spend time with him. He's the one who gave me that I'm, hello, I'm Lazarus and I was resurrected from the dead. That's, that's him. That's the same one. His name is Jesus. You should meet him. I am, I am, I love this, just running with scripture. Before the foundation of the world, I actually knew him. I didn't know I knew him. Didn't even know I would know him. Didn't even know that I could potentially know him. But he knew me before the foundation of the world. And maybe that's what really counts that I, that I was known by him, I was chosen by him, that I am formed when my mom, when my mom and my father got together, it was really a pretty beautiful act, but it was more beautiful than that because God began to knit me together. And he formed me, that's the God that I worship. that's who I am, that's what I'm about. I mean, He stood outside of my tomb and He invited me out to step into life and to come enjoy Him. I am built up in Him, as the Scripture would tell us. I am rooted in Him, as the Scripture would tell us. I am established in Him. I am passionate before Him. And if you want to understand who I am, just let me just put this tag. It's getting a little bit long now. It's all the way down my, halfway down my pants. But I am made alive by this Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm literally made alive. Like, no kidding. I'm made alive by Jesus Christ. I am fully forgiven in Him. That's who I am. That's how I roll around here. I don't know what you're talking about being a shepherd, but these things are what define me. And this is what's important to me. On my car, I could care less. What, What I am, I don't care what I'm wearing. If you want to go with the rest of Colossians, what I drink or where I eat, so irrelevant to me because this is who I am. And it's going to keep stringing down my leg because I got a lot of stickers that has hello, my name is. I am fully complete in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. I am blessed by him. It's, it's down to my knee now. Hello, my name is. I am blessed in every spiritual blessing. I am holy and blameless before God. Hi, my name is Lazarus. That's, that's, this is how I roll. I am fully forgiven. I am rooted. I have been given fullness in Christ. I am rich. I am so stinking rich in grace. If I could brag about that for a while, when you walk over this treasure that I found in the field, let me open it up for you, and let me actually I just start talking about these stickers again, because this treasure is found in these stickers. This is who I am. I am rich in great. I'm filthy rich right now. I have so much grace. And I could just tell you about that and tell you more and more and more. I am totally complete, complete. I am covered by Him. I am sealed with the Spirit of God. He has guaranteed my inheritance in the kingdom of God. I am good to go. And this is the freedom that I bring to the table. I am covered with stickers. Hello, my name is Lazarus and this is who I am. I think the reality for all of us is that's not a biblical story. That's an ending, in beautiful picture of who we are. Because he stood before us and said, I invite you to come out. And I can't picture living any other way than abounding in purpose when I am littered with the truth of the Scripture of my identity in Christ. So what defines you? For what defines you will what, what purposes you. And I can't picture anyone in this room who has received those gifts who would live for any other than Jesus Christ. So Lord, we respond to You. I don't know what You would see fit from us. I think we respond to You with intellectual creativity, with emotional passion, with practical hope. God, we respond to You as if You are our God and we are Your people. God, I respond to you recognizing that while the New Testament Scriptures have come to a close and we're not to add to that, Father, the New Testament stories of your work and your significance among the church never end. So God, I pray for a New Testament move among us, a belief that you move in spirit and in power. God, I pray for a freedom to be pervasive in this room. God, I do pray that there will be conviction across this room of the ways that we shrink you down. And God, we would, re- we would respond to that conviction not with, not with a sense of condemnation, but with a sense of repentance and turning back toward the freedom that You have called us toward. And so God, I just pray for a holy response today. A response to You, to believe great and huge things about You. For You are a great and vast and powerful God. We're going to sing for a bit. as we sing for a little while, there just is an opportunity for you to respond. Some of you are going to respond to a personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus. And Dr. Davis and myself will be here at the front to meet you. Some of you are coming to join with our fellowship. A lot of us in the room simply just need to respond to the Spirit of God and to believe as a child. So I would just pray that the Spirit of God would have freedom to live and breathe in this room as he sees fit. So Jesus, stir our mass. It's for your glory we're here. As we stand together, if you have a decision, I invite you to step out now. If you want to respond to God just in prayer, step now. Let's sing, let's worship, let's respond to the holiness and wonder of our God.